welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed by women that prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is one of my favorite people on the planet, the one and only Ariel. Hi. Hi. Ariel, I'm very excited. We have a very exciting show today. I'm very excited and a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so I know people who have been listening along were expecting us to review The Craft Legacy this week. But that's going to have to go back an extra week because we have something very exciting for you this week. And instead of talking about a coven of witches, it's going to be a little twisty twist that we're kind of forming a little coven of our own. (laughs) That's right. We have some amazing and hilarious guests on this episode, Allison and Haley from Ruined Podcast. Hey. Hey. Thank you for having us. Thank you for coming. This is such a treat. Oh, we're so excited to be here. Yeah. This is Allison. Oh, this is Hallie. Voices are trying to be like, who's who now? There's <laughs> a bunch of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, though. I mean, I think it's more feminine energy out into the world. Let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely. So- For those in the audience who haven't had the delight of listening to you ladies before, can you tell them a little bit about your show, Ruined? So this is Hallie again. Basically, the premise of our podcast is as someone who loves horror movies, I just want to tell people about them. And luckily, I found that person in Allison who loathes horror movies and is too afraid to watch them herself. Yeah, I can't ever sit through a horror I've seen like three in my whole life but I do like hearing what happens in all of them like I would read the Wikipedia pages but I would also just sit on (laughs) Gchat and let Hallie tell me every excruciating detail of some of these movies and I guess what was always fun about it is like I knew you weren't going to see them so I'm like can I just spoil this for you and I just tell you about what the most exciting parts of it so we thought of course like so many people why not turn this into a podcast yes. every <laughs> should be a podcast yes. yes so basically every episode of ruined is us just me describing a horror movie in graphic detail and, and getting Allison's take on it and sort of what she thinks of the movie heavy only heard me describe it basically yes. yeah I watched the trailer and then I listened to Hallie and then that's <laughs> how I process what that movie was about and what it was like so it's if you don't like horror movies, it's kind of the best way to do it. And I don't. So this is kind of, it's a dream come true for me. <laughs> I know for me, one of the reasons I love your show is a lot of the ways that I connect with my girlfriends has been around horror movies, whether that was junior high slumber parties or now as an adult, I basically just recruit all of my girlfriends to do podcasts with me. Mm-hmm. So I, I just love that you guys have kind of found a way to make that happen for you too. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I basically, did I strong arm Allison into doing it? Yes. Am yeah. I fine with that? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Did it work out in the end? Of course. <laughs> yeah. But but very similarly, like, I feel like uh, growing up, like, I mean, I grew up in kind of like a rural area. All there was to do was see movies, especially horror movies. Like, this was like the pastime that I grew up with. So why right. not? Why not bring it, force Allison into it? Yeah. <laughs> it's also just fun for an hour a week to talk about something that's completely outside of uh, our reality for the most part mm-hmm. so we have some that kind of like dip into like too real <laughs> yeah the purge I, I listened yes. to the purge election yeah. here yeah. yesterday yeah. and I was like oh you guys didn't get into it in the show but I remember that came out right before the 2016 election mm-hmm. and it was sort of you could tell that the assumption was that it was not going to go the way that it went. Yes. Yeah, very much so. It's uh, frankly more optimistic than how things went in real life. <laughs> like the movie's like, actually, things will go okay. The purge is wrong, you know, and in real life, we're like, or is it? Right. right. The scariest <laughs> thing about that series to me is that it's so predictive. 
in mm-hmm. some ways. When you go back and Absolutely, watch the yeah. the first purge, you're like, mm, that shit is too real. <laughs> yeah. 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 Shout, yeah. Shout out. If you haven't seen the purge series, it's yeah. It's like I saw. I remember watching in 2016, being like, well, it's not too on the nose, but like, okay, this is a dramatized version. And then watching it again, you know, last week, I was like, right. oh no, they really, really called it. Yeah. <laughs> There's some like witchcraft in that franchise. Mm. Yeah. I kind of want to let them pick my lotto numbers. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Alarmingly um, right on a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned that you kind of grew up watching horror movies, Hallie. So I was going to ask actually how you became a horror fan. What is your horror fan history? Um, I don't know. I feel like for my entire life, as long as I can remember, I've always loved horror. I've always loved spooky things. I remember very distinctly, I think I was in kindergarten. My parents were one of those parents who was like, you could check anything out from the library, which is not a great policy because they have all the Stephen King books. But <laughs> I remember like being in kindergarten and getting like, obviously it's for kids. Like it wasn't like some gruesome thing, but it was like, it wasn't um, scary stories to tell in the dark, but it was something akin to scary stories mm. to tell in the dark. Where it, and I remember reading this story, again, five or six of the Green Ribbon you know, a classic. Mm-hmm. Again, don't want to spoil it for you, Allison. A woman has a green ribbon. Oh, yada, I've read yada, it. Yada. Oh, oh, you know it. Okay. And I remember being so scared that I hid the book in my house and my parents couldn't find it. And then they ended up having to pay for the library book. But I, there's something about that where I was like, <laughs> so and funny. then it just sort of like birthed in me like this, like, I just love horror. I always loved it from childhood. I don't know. I, I It'd be interesting to look back and be like, what was going on? You know, because mm-hmm. we weren't really like a horror household, though I guess... Weren't we all horror households when it came, comes to Stephen King? Like, I, yeah. I mean, especially yeah. in the 90s, like It, you know, um, The Stand, The Langoliers. We, you know, we watched all those things, so, <laughs> yeah, which, yeah, which I think everywhere. is sort of a perfect how, with the film we're going to be talking about today. Is Stephen King, he's, he's been there our entire lives, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. He raised us on horror. Yeah. So if that's how you became a horror fan, Allison, how did you <laughs> not become a horror fan? Is there one movie maybe that scared you so much you were like, I can never do this again? There are like I've only seen a handful of horror movies. Like one of them is The Shining. Like what? Oh, you know, oh wow, like, that'll do it. Yeah. Like, it. <laughs> um, but I did grow up reading those like scary stories to tell in the dark, and I like lo- and I read like every Goosebumps book, and I've read a lot of Stephen King books. Um, really? Like, specifically That's the ones that like didn't get optioned into films. Um, yet, like I'm, I know yet it's like we have plenty of time to <laughs> give make it a away. Lot of nightmares. <laughs> yeah, but like. There's something about movies that, like, it just is mm-hmm. too much for me. And I think it's also a little bit, like, as I age, I'm just, like, less and less risk of, like, I'm more risk-averse. Mm. I'm just, like, I could just watch Seinfeld again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, then not be, you know, and then I it's a known quantity to me than, like, watch a scary movie and probably have nightmares because that's something that happens to me in my late 30s. <laughs> I'm so envious of you. As someone who <laughs> loves horror movies, I feel like I'm constantly chasing that dragon of something scaring me. And mm. I'm so dead inside from 40 years of watching horror movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. It never happens anymore. So when I hear you get scared, I'm just like, ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah. like. There are movies that, like, Hallie has just, like, told me scenes of that i like would get goosebumps hearing about it and like oh, couldn't wow. sleep. Oh, so that's amazing yeah Sounds i guess i'm amazing. like afraid of everything is, <laughs> is like my okay. mo <laughs> oh wow oh so jealous so all right well then i guess the question is what does actually scare you hallie is there a movie or a franchise or something that you won't even touch because it's it's too scary um you know i honestly I don't think so. Like we've talked about, you know, like eventually doing like 
you know, sort of like the more heavy hitters, like uh, Martyrs or like a Serbian oh. film or something oh. where like that's what people recommend is like the worst movies. Right. And right. I think we will eventually do them. I will watch any horror movie. I will say, like Alice was saying, is as I grow older, and that's kind of also uh, related to the movie we're going to be talking about today, is I, the older I get, the harder it is for me to watch a child be endangered. Right. And um, it's, yeah, so, but it's less that it's scary. It's more like, man, this is just a bummer. I don't want to think about this. Right. <laughs> um, but I also, I agree with you. I, uh, in terms of like being scared, like, for example, Hereditary, we did recently for mm-hmm. Halloween. And I, I like a horror movie where it's nonstop, you know, like I don't like a slow burn. Like, I just want to be like, you're just seeing crazy stuff every minute. That to me, right. I think it sort of overloads my, uh, like my mind as I'm watching it. So then it's like, mm-hmm. you don't even get a chance to like recover from like the fir- next scary thing. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, there's a movie that just came out. I don't know if you guys saw it yet called His House. Yes. Um, I just watched that this weekend. How was it? I thought it. Oh, have you seen it yet? No, no, no. I, I mean, you could, I mean okay, again, I you could spoil it. I, do, I don't mind. But for your viewership, <laughs> I just want to know if you thought it was scary. I mean, I am a terrible barometer for what is scary mm-hmm. because I can be grossed out. I can be disgusted. And I think that's why sometimes I delve into the maybe more extreme horror I'm starting mm-hmm. to. But no, it, things don't really creep me out. I thought it was very good, though. Hereditary mm-hmm. didn't scare me, but as I was watching it, I was like, what I am seeing is excellence on film. And there right. was some of that for me for his house. I would not necessarily recommend it for Allison. <laughs> no, no, oh, Allison no, would sure. find it very scary. But I, I watch like rom-coms and like financial documentaries. I'm not... See, that is scary to me. To me, a financial <laughs> yeah. documentary is a nightmare. Is like nightmare fuel. Yeah, and you also hate rom-coms. <laughs> I do hate rom-coms, but I, I this again goes back to the dead inside thing that I just previously discussed. Yeah, I'm not there yet. I feel like eventually I'll get where you're at, but not quite yet. Oh well. Here's a goal for you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So I know that you're now hearing about all of these horror movies, and you've obviously been doing that for a while, Allison. Do you have any want to actually watch any of these horror movies now? I mean, some of them do sound, I mean, and we do a lot of movies that are like obviously excellent movies, regardless of genre. So there are ones where I'm like, that sounds like a good movie, but I think I'm still going to be scared even knowing the ending. I will say the upcoming uh, remake of Candyman. Ooh. Oh, yeah. I mean, because now like we just, in one of our first episodes, we talked about the original, which I remember mm-hmm. seeing in uh, the video store all the time and being like, absolutely not. Now I'm afraid of candy and bees. Um, and men. Um, but um, I mean, I, when, the tra- when that like long trailer dropped, I was like, mm-hmm. this is clearly a great movie yeah. and yeah. I want to be able to watch it so badly. And perhaps there's a world where I can um, first thing in the morning or something like that. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. a good time to do it. Or, yeah. or like with people. But, you know, God knows if we're ever yeah. going to get to watch things with people again. So, um, right. yeah, if I think if I could create a perfect setup that there are probably films I could see and that one I want to see but I probably will never see (laughs) yeah well I was listening to your episode that you just talked about doing hereditary and it sounded like that was one you were kind of really interested in seeing but then Mm. when you heard about the kid getting her head Mm -hmm. chopped off you were like nope but I'm out (laughs) so is it violence or is it more spooky things what is it about it that gets under your skin I think it's because, like, I uh, oddly enough, like I said, like I read a lot of like horror kind of things when I was a kid, and I also love a thriller. 
Um, right. So it's not necessarily like, vi- I mean, like violence, I don't love watching. So like, right. that's part of it. I think it's more the vibe of like, the intent of this is just to make you scared. Like there's something about mm-hmm. the vibe that a horror movie has where I'm just like, I already don't trust anybody here. I don't like this. Right. Um, but I can't put my finger on like one thing because it's like the entire genre is upsetting to me. <laughs> right. What about horror comedies? I feel like you've mentioned them, but I didn't get to the bottom of how you felt about horror comedies. Is that a loophole or is that a no-go? I mean, I think that there are horror comedies that I would personally be able to watch without having like, you know, a week's worth of therapy to unpack it. But um, <laughs> okay, um, you know, I'm gonna to... stop trying to force this on you. If it requires therapy. <laughs> but, like, but I'm like, as a comedian and a comedy writer, I find myself a bit of a comedy purist, and I'm always like, yeah. don't mix my genre with another genre. <laughs> oh, okay. That terrifies me. It's not that I don't think it's a quality genre where excellent work is being done, but I'm like, right. well, I don't. That scares me. So no, thank you. <laughs> Fair enough. But fair Hallie enough. loves a, a horror comedy. Oh, I love a horror comedy. Yeah, it's just the best. Yeah, it's the peanut butter and chocolate of genres exactly. in my mind. Yeah, so it's so good. That's yeah. exactly yes, exactly. I agree. There's a a little independent movie that came out this year. Bad name, really fun movie that I will recommend. It's called Uncle Peckerhead. Okay, and it's about a punk band that goes on their first tour and they accidentally pick up a demon roadie. Very charming. Ooh, I recommend. Okay, awesome. <laughs> not not for you, Allison, but no, probably really? not. But it does sound fun. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. The poster looks amazing. Yeah. Okay. So halfway through the movie, my I looked over my boyfriend at his phone out, and he was ordering a T-shirt for the fictional band in the movie. Hell yeah! <laughs> okay, I guess you like this movie. Wow. <laughs> okay, so our podcast is, as I mentioned off the top, about focusing on female directors in the horror genre it kind of came out of that Bloomhouse article where he was just like i don't know any women making horror we were like mm. what yeah. what <laughs> rage activated <laughs> and it's always been kind of a passion of ours to focus on women who are making films particularly horror films and so just as sort of a fun thought experiment and this is for both of you but i think mostly for Haley, is what sort of classic horror film would you like to see remade by a woman director that you think would be better through the lens of a woman director well this is an interesting question because i feel like i'm more and more against remakes in general Mm -hmm. so boy um god i mean well they already remade carrie and we saw how that went Um, kim pierce look hey you know what you try your best and, and you know sometimes it doesn't pan out yeah um god now i'm trying to think of like which um oh um tommyknockers Oh, interesting. I would love I like to see how this that. Is all coming from back to Stephen yeah. King. This is so on theme. Yeah. Why why Tommy Knocker specifically? Um, I feel like it hit the female protagonist, at least mm-hmm. in the book that I remember. Like there was a lot about like sort of she like um I don't know what the word uh, sort of had a premonition about like what was going on like uh, through her period. Like she mm-hmm. was sort of attuned to it in a certain way. And I remember <laughs> right. as a kid finding that like that book particularly terrifying. Uh-huh. And I don't know. I, yeah, I feel like I'm trying to look who the um, the actual director was. Um, directed by John Power. Yeah, I I, I don't know. Again, um, not that every Stephen King uh, book needs to be made into a movie, but if they're going to do it, and they will, then right. Tommy Knox is one that I I would love to see from a a female director. Yeah, 
I think so. Yeah, that's a good, that's a deep cut. I like it. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on this one, Allison? It's totally okay if you don't. (laughs) I mean, yeah, of the horror movies I've seen, you could, all of them should be remade by a woman. Like, I just think, (laughs) like, why not? I just think that, like, women are so much filthier and scarier and Mm -hmm. will write uh, in comedy. They are meaner and darker. (laughs) And I think that, like, for some reason, the the movies that women get to make that are considered mainstream are like light and female. And it's like, Oh no, women are gross and yeah. awful. And cause like we're, I think we're in tap, like we're tapped into the worst of the world. Right. Way more That's than men so are. Like, even just our bodies are like a little bit of a horror film at all right. times. And, like, <laughs> like, we're like used to seeing and dealing with blood on a regular basis. And like men aren't. And I think that like giving women more opportunities to make horror movies makes sense to me. Like they will be better. Oh, I yeah. love that. I love that too. You made me think of this. There was a thread on Twitter. It was, you know, times people were too pure for Twitter. And it was some guy who got a bloody nose in the shower and was tweeting about how horrifying it was to see himself covered in blood. (laughs) Like every woman on Twitter was like, pardon me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have input here. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. All right. Great. This is super, super fun. I'm getting to know you guys a little bit better. And, you know, when you listen to a podcast, I once heard that, if you ever want to know what it feels like to be a ghost, you know, listen to a podcast and have like some feedback in real time. <laughs> so I, I finally got to ask all the questions I've been wanting to ask. <laughs> oh, this is a delight already. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to you guys because I, I love your podcast, but also I'm a little jealous of your relationship. I have multiple close friends and family members who are terrified of horror and will never let me even talk about it in front of them. So oh. it's really fun to see this dynamic between the two of you. Very, really tough. Oh. I will say I, I once dated a guy who really couldn't stand horror. And I, it's not why we broke up, but boy, it didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but that's all I want to talk about. Please. Right. Why is that? There's something about horror movies. I don't feel compelled to talk about any other genre, but I want to talk about the latest horror movie that I watched. Yeah, yeah, it's so visceral and like there's like it's like yeah, it's like your lizard brain. It's like you want to mm-hmm. be like tell like it's like telling someone about a delicious piece of cake. It's like <laughs> just let me. T- I know you weren't there. I know you didn't try it, but let me tell you about it. Yeah, they're also like the most full of like you won't believe what happens next. Yes, that's moments, true. Like more than any other genre. So like of course the that's why I look like I don't look up the plots to like Marvel movies, and I also don't watch those. <laughs> okay, so, you know it's like. You only got to really look up one and then change the name. Yeah, it's pretty much just anything. I guess it might just be one plot. Um, But like with horror, I'm like, oh, there is so much craziness that can go on, especially like the more that they're detached from reality. So it's like, yeah, there is kind of something like more thrilling about hearing about horror. And it kind of takes the power away when I get to hear Hallie like joke about it with me. And then I'm not like walking around being like, would hereditary ruin my life? Yeah, (laughs) probably. (laughs) Yeah. That one's that. That's the deep end. I would definitely not yeah, start stay there. Yeah, from Ari Aster in general. <laughs> yeah, although I feel like Midsummer maybe. I've heard that it's kind of doable if you're a little squeamish. So I maybe one day I'll I mean, try the it. Mean Stupa is not yeah. for not for well, beginners, but the thing that I feel it. is like mostly just psychological and yes, and you probably yeah, can. it's gonna yeah, make totally. you feel things very oh. strongly. Yeah, the I fatal mistake like is that. that, and that one is don't jump off a cliff and you'll be fine. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, great. So I don't know if we've already tipped our hand, but the movie that we're going to be talking about actually ruining in ruined style is 1998's Pet Cemetery, directed by Mary Lambert. And I am so excited that you picked this movie <laughs> because it is a very controversial one on this podcast. Oh, interesting. <laughs> What's interesting. the controversy? This is the sort of Damocles movie that I've been holding over Ariel's head. <laughs> <laughs> because it's i have for a long time <laughs> we have very divergent feelings about this movie and i've given her a hard time for it for a long time well so so one of you does not like this movie or doesn't find it scary so i had never watched this movie i don't like things about people's pets dying so that's fair i thought that this movie was all about different children's pets dying and coming back and so i just never watched it i'd seen like every other Stephen king movie but not this one and then one day I watched it and I talked to Rachel about it and I spent probably 10 minutes talking about how much I didn't like this movie. And then she was like, Ariel, you know, this is like my favorite movie. Oh my gosh. I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot. And so jokingly, I've been giving her a hard time about this forever and also threatening to make her and uh, to watch it and on this podcast. So on one hand, it's great because we're finally doing it. On the other, she's probably relieved because I have to behave myself in front of company. <laughs> Well, but I'm just glad we're getting it done. And I have yeah. to say, I love this movie. I loved it before. I watched it again in, in preparation. Loved it even more. So, I, again, I'm not going to... Hey, everyone's allowed to feel how they want to feel. <laughs> totally. This is a phenomenal totally. This is a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I mean, I did watch it another time. So this is the second time right. that I've seen it. And I did like it more this time. Oh, here's yeah. what I'll say. There are still parts of this movie that don't really do it for me. Mm -hmm. specifically the sister which we'll get into i really don't like yeah that. that's fair but the last 30 minutes of this movie is great it's yeah. very fun it's very entertaining and i definitely think if i had seen this movie at like 11 years old it would probably mm -hmm. be a favorite of mine too i yeah, think seeing absolutely. it at you know like 37 was the problem <laughs> yeah mm. yeah I, this point. is a movie i heard before i saw it because when i was a little kid i was scared of horror movies i liked scary things but i wouldn't watch horror movies right but my dad was watching it and i listened at the end of the hall and as oh. you can imagine i was super bummed <laughs> yeah. when i started hearing <laughs> rachel <laughs> oh no <laughs> Oh my god. That would have been terrible. <laughs> it was not the best. Even as an adult when she's doing it and I'm like, mm, I don't there's the childhood trauma trigger here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we dig into this, like we always do, especially this episode, Ariel, can you please let our listeners know what the spoiler policy is around these parts? We spoil everything. And especially <laughs> this episode, no stone will be left unturned. Mm -hmm. So if you have not seen this movie and you're spoiler reverse, go check it out and come on back because this is going to be good. Yeah, definitely. So Ariel, before we get into Pet Cemetery. You know, I love to learn a little bit about the woman who made the film and any sort of fun facts about the production of the film. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Tell me about Mary Lambert and the making of Pet Cemetery. Yeah, so I was actually pretty excited to do this one because I really didn't know anything about Mary Lambert. And I'm really glad I did because even though we know I have controversial feelings about this film, <laughs> <laughs> she is a badass. And I'm really glad that I learned more about it because I really didn't know anything about her history. Okay, so Mary Lambert grew up in Helena, Arkansas, and she ended up getting her Bachelor's of Fine Arts from the Rhode Island School of Design, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Once she was there, she was studying 
all these different kinds of fine art. And she realized that art could be more than just paintings. And that's when she started to get into filmmaking. And when she was, yeah. And when she was there, she actually became friends with Tina Weymouth and Chris Franz of the Talking Heads. They became (laughs) really close. After college, she moved to LA and she was kind of working on the fringe of movie making, doing some editing and animation when they asked her to direct a music video for their band Tom Tom Club. Mm. And then she was able to parlay that music video into a meeting with Madonna and they hit it off. Uh, oh, wait, <laughs> she did some of her videos, didn't she? She did, yes. Oh, this is, okay, sorry. These are like disparate places in my fandoms coming together yeah. right now. Okay, 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 <laughs> keep going, keep going. So this is when her career really took off. She started directing music videos, and it's actually pretty amazing because she basically directed every big music video from our childhood. She was directing music videos for the Go-Go's, the Eurythmics, Sting, Janet Jackson, Motley Crue, Rod Stewart, and like tons of other people, including Madonna. She actually directed most of Madonna's most iconic music videos. She directed Borderline, Like a Virgin, Liza Bonita, and what? like a prayer oh yeah the, the most iconic yeah exactly. and the most controversial hmm, i see a pattern yep. here i see a pattern here <laughs> so first of all if you've never seen the like a prayer video you should go and watch it it's pretty amazing it's considered to be the second best video of that decade only under thriller which is mm. yeah pretty impressive right so like a prayer like you said was very controversial because of its content there's a lot of sex. There's a, a lot black of burning Jesus. crosses. There's a lot of burning crosses. Yeah. That's pretty. It's about as spicy as you can get. Yeah. So the Catholic Church was not too happy about this. <laughs> they were you very. Don't say. Out- yeah, they were very outspoken against it. The Pope even called for a boycott of the video. And wow, it was this same year. Cool Pope would never do that. <laughs> cool Pope. Oh my God. So the music video came out, and then just a little over a month later came Pet Cemetery. So in the same year, wow. she did like a prayer and Pet Cemetery. Damn, that which, is an iconic year for it, Lambert. <laughs> it really is, and clearly the Catholic Church was not a fan of her. No, so, no, no, yeah. No. <laughs> so Pet Cemetery was actually her second feature film in 1987. She made her feature film debut with the art house movie called siesta it stars mm. ellen barkin and jodie foster oh and it actually sounds really interesting kind of makes me want to go see it because apparently it's about a woman who wakes up bloody and bruised and she thinks she's committed a murder but she has no memory of what it is oh shit yeah and it's very experimental and i guess told in a non-linear way So it wasn't widely liked at the time. People now say it was maybe ahead of its time and people Mm. just weren't kind of ready for it and didn't know what to do with it. But it was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award for Best First Feature. So after directing those two movies, she continued to direct documentaries, TV shows, and movies, including Urban Legend Bloody Mary. I don't know if you ever saw that one. It's the sequel to Urban Legend. I must have back in the day. Probably. It's like an early 2000s one. It's not as good as the original, but it is does a lot of fun. Does that one have the spiders coming out of somebody's face? Yes. Okay. I it yes. Does. Of course I've seen it then. Of course I've experienced this trauma. <laughs> <Okay>. Jesus. <laughs> so most recently she has gone on to direct episodes of The Blacklist and Arrow. She's also been doing more stuff with documentaries. 
interesting. Yeah. So for production stuff with Pet Cemetery, I thought it was really interesting. She and Stephen King really became allies during the making of this movie. They became close and they had a studio backing the film, putting money into it. But it also meant like we've heard from any other directors we've read about, that that means you have to take input from somebody and somebody else holds the purse strings, right? Right, right. But the two of them kind of teamed up so that when the studio would say, mm, I don't think so, they could be like, well, you have to because we both agree on this. <laughs> Interesting. I wonder if this is just remnants of King being super salty about everything that went down with Stanley Kubrick. Oh, that could be. Now he gets in super buddy-buddy with all the directors because I know he's also <laughs> super tight with Mike Flanagan. That would make a lot of sense, actually. Apparently, they would meet up at Denny's on Sunset Boulevard to talk about the movie. That is the most Stephen King thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Of course, he's like, he's like, meet me for some spooky moons over Miami. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she even was saying in this interview, I think it was with the LA Times, saying that she thought King kind of wanted to be like one of his characters. This was something one of his characters would do, would be to go to Denny's. I mean, all of his characters kind of feel very much like proxies of yes, Stephen King because very much so. I don't I don't want to steal your thunder I don't know if you're gonna go into this but Pet Cemetery was I think the first book he wrote when he got sober oh was and, it I didn't yes know it was the first book he got he wrote when he got sober and he wasn't sure that he'd be able to do it and it was the darkest book he ever wrote in his opinion and it was yeah. based partially on our life or true life yeah experience? so okay. he had an experience where his son yeah. ran out into the road and he grabbed him up before he was hit by a car Right. When that happened, he had like a flash of this Mm -hmm. story and he wrote it down, but it scared him so much that he kind of put it away for a few years before later publishing it. Right. And so when I was watching this movie and then also doing a little background research Mm -hmm. about because I tried to read this book, but it was it was a little too it unlike the movie, it is really heavy on pet death. So okay, and it also the animals are much sadder than they are in the movie, whereas they're very scary, aggressive in the movie. That's not the case in the book. They're much I won't go into it because you just don't even need it in your head. It's much sadder in the book. So I was just like, and we're done. But the character of Lewis is so totally unlikable and 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 so selfish and oh interesting just oozing with toxic masculinity he doesn't really like his daughter he's pretty closed off to his wife he keeps a lot of secrets from her and takes great pride in keeping secrets from her and it's so freaking autobiographical because like (laughs) of course he's full of self-loathing he's you know he's struggling with sobriety he's probably to get to a point where they had to intervene in his life and do an intervention essentially he probably was keeping a lot of secrets from his wife and has a lot of guilt around that. You could see that so much in the work. And I wonder, like, I just sorry, that I wanted to go off on this tangent just because you said how Mary Lambert said that she felt like he was kind of embodying one of his characters. And yeah. I was like, I think maybe he just is. <laughs> You're probably right. But, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I totally No, that's really us. interesting. And apparently she said he likes their burgers. That's what he oh. ate. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had a Denny's burger, but I bet it's probably totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a ringing endorsement if I've ever heard one. <laughs> yeah, I'm a super bird kind of person. But okay. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so Stephen King insisted that this film had to be made in Maine. They had to film it in Maine, and the studio didn't want to because... They always want to film it where it's going to be the cheapest and Maine wasn't it, but he wanted it so much. It was so important to him that he actually had it written into his contract. Really? Yeah. 
Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah. And but Lambert said that she was really glad he did because she thought it made the film feel more authentic because Maine is so beautiful, but the forests and wooded areas are really, really dark and scary to her. So one other thing about the studio is that they also hated the funeral scene in this movie. Oh, where King shows up with his. Yeah. Uh huh. So specifically the scene where all of the kind of the argument happens oh, in the church yeah. and there's crying and it's very overwrought and sad. They thought it was too sad for a horror movie. They wanted mm. it taken out. But Lambert had read the book, obviously, prior to making this film, and she thought it was a really important part of the book and right. wanted to show that the sadness and, and have it be a big part of the movie too. It felt like she needed that balance in there. Mm-hmm. So King backed her up and they were able to keep it in and kind of fight the studio on it. Oh, damn. Go off Lambert. <laughs> so Fred Gwynn, who played the neighbor, Jed Crandall was the only actor that Lambert really considered for the role. But oh. again, the studio tried to get involved because oh, no. he was really well known for his role in the Munsters, which is like a sitcom. It's a comedy role. And they didn't think that he could do this serious role. But she mm. really fought for him because she thought he would be just great. And frankly, he's so kind of iconic in that role. I can't yeah. picture anybody else doing it. You know? I mean, you know, some of the performances are not the strongest. Oh, in this yeah, movie. absolutely true. <laughs> I I'm not willing to concede much more than that on the <laughs> cemetery front, but I think Judd is actually, I mean, he is having the best time chewing up all yes. the scenery. I think he is the standout performance of the movie. I can't even imagine, like you said, anybody else. He's so iconic in that role. I can't even imagine it. No, I mean, in the remake that came out, what was that last year? I think. Yeah. They had John Lithgow playing that role. Right. And he's pretty good in it. But I mean, because he can do same. kind of anything, but he'd be the yeah. person I would be like, okay. But right. even he can't live up to Judd, huh? No. Okay. I haven't watched the new one because it's grim content and people keep saying it's not that great. And so I'm just like, mm. yeah, it wasn't my favorite. Okay. See, this is, this <laughs> I would is, say just live Denny's with, burgers you love all the original over again. so much. <laughs> just watch, you know, rewatch that one as many okay. times as you want instead. Okay. Deal. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> so Lambert also directed the sequel to Pet Cemetery. I've never seen that one. Have you? No. I know oh, it has like okay. Eddie Furlong and Cl- Clancy Brown in it, but yes. I, it, it was, some, I know there was some studio fucketry with that, which I'm yes, sure you're going to go was. into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't a big hit when it came out, but I guess since then it's gained a cult following and there are a lot of horror fans that really love it. So I feel like at some point I'll have to watch it. Um directed by mary lambert yes that's why i'm You're talking about it definitely going oh, to good be it. <laughs> you're gonna make me watch another one yes i am <laughs> oh boy the torture continues <laughs> the torture just the gift. <laughs> so yeah so mary lambert directed the sequel and It didn't go exactly how she wanted. So she's actually really happy with how the movie turned out. And she thinks that people didn't give it enough credit at the time. Mm. But she had something completely different planned in the beginning. And the studio basically shot her down. Uh So 
I'm really sad that she didn't get to make this movie because it actually sounds pretty great. So originally she wanted to make the sequel about Ellen, the little girl. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jesus, if anybody needs therapy, it's Ellie. Right. And also in the movie, she has all these premonitions and we never really explore that very much. Right. Yeah. So she thought it would be about her coming back to Maine years later to find out what had happened to her family. Ooh, that would have been good. And she would have a new cat in tow, which is great. Oh, no. Maybe not. (laughs) And what she envisioned was that there would also be a large feral cat community living in the little town that she goes back to in Maine, and that people who live there are trying to get rid of these feral cats, but that Ellen gets involved to kind of help them out. And when she does, the feral cats lead her into the woods to where the burial ground is, where she would find her father as a reanimated corpse living (gasps) out there in the woods. What? Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Did Judd bury him? I don't know. Well, he couldn't have because Judd died first. Oh, right. Because how could he have gotten reanimated? I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe we didn't see what happened to him at the end. Maybe she kissed him and the Wendigo went in his mouth or something. Yeah. Who knows? Man. Who knows? We'll never know. I know. But I'm going to get like Lambert cool on the idea. phone like ringy dingy girl. Tell me yes. what really happened here. <laughs> I'm not, actually, I'm not kidding. I'm going to try to get her on the podcast oh so I can God, ask her Rachel, what would have happened. That would be amazing. You have to do that. Okay. I'm going to try to pitch her. Yeah, just keep at that, man, until she yeah. says yes. <laughs> right? I We have questions. We yeah. need answers. Plus, she's just had such a cool career. Yeah, she sounds dope. So I want to read you this quote from an interview she did with the LA Times when the newer movie came out last year. Okay. She was talking about how the studio wouldn't let her make this movie about Ellen. And that basically the studio had told her that you can't make a movie with a female protagonist for horror. Like, it's oh, not going to work. God. You can't do it horror of all genres (laughs) are you high all of the classic horror films have female protagonists they're going to be shocked when someone gives them a copy of halloween (laughs) (laughs) oh my god you know that had already come out come on and carrie hadn't carrie come out already too carrie uh friday the 13th (laughs) name a horror movie practically all of them especially at this point in the 80s had female protagonists So I don't know what their problem was, but clearly they made the wrong choice. So she, this is what she said to the LA Times. We've made a little progress, but not enough. My career is littered with the projects I wanted to do that were about women. Not like, quote unquote, girl movies, but crazy baby killer psychopath women or women in combat movies. They all mm. got thrown back at me. Most of the time, it was like, we can't do this with a female protagonist. We have to make the male part bigger. When she goes into combat, the guy's got to save her. And I'm like, that's not the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Through this process, a pattern is definitely forming. I think anecdotally, I knew this was a thing that happened. But now we're hearing out of these women directors' mouths about all the movies. And I'm sure all directors have stories of movies that they wanted to make and couldn't make. But that there is a certain degree of gendered issue around this right yeah definitely like, it does what like i think about antonia birch people they didn't yeah. want her to do things about women and they didn't want her to do things about people who were like poor right so <laughs> so it's it's interesting it's interesting yeah. yeah 
So Pet Cemetery was a huge success. It opened at number one at the box office, and it is the highest grossing horror movie directed by a woman of all time. Oh, which wow. Is awesome that this movie was such a success, that it did so well. But I also feel like it's a little sad that this movie was made in 1989. Yeah. And nothing, like we haven't had enough horror movies that were studio backed, that have big budgets where they could create that same kind of. So right. It's been a long ass yeah. time. Yeah. Now is that is it is it adjusted for inflation? I think so. Okay, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's still not great, but if if it wasn't, oh my god, can you imagine? No, no. So props to her, but it's a little sad. Be interesting to see when we finally, when and if we get to go back to theaters, if Candyman, the new Candyman, beats it. Oh, that would be interesting. That has such people have like, been really wanting yeah. to see that one. So people might come out in droves for it if we're allowed to go see it. <laughs> right? Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if that one breaks the record. I'm trying to think if there's any other ones sort of in the... That's can't really think kind of any the, that are as big as that. Yeah. Is there any other ones that are giving major theatrical releases? I don't no. think so. Yeah, that's grim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I just brought the party down. Let's bring it back up. <laughs> so to bring it back up... It's been three decades since Pet Cemetery came out, and Lambert is still kicking ass in Hollywood. Go off, sis. She's been directing episodes of TV, but she is currently helming a holiday romantic comedy for Netflix called A Castle for Christmas, starring Brooke Shields and Carrie Elways. Oh, I love Carrie Elways. Yeah, he's Anything great. Anything he's in, I mean, I, mean I, I always feel like he should have been a bigger deal than he was, but whenever I see him, I mean, obviously forever the princess bride but right. i also loved him did you ever see him on psych yes he oh he was oh, great on psych so that's right on psych. and then obviously of course saw but yes you know. and he was last year he was in the new black christmas too oh was he yeah i he guess we'll find out soon college, enough oops i'm tipping our hand about future episodes <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> i also just kind of love the idea of a romantic comedy that's about somebody of brooke shields and his age because uh -huh. so many of those are usually about like 20 somethings you know right kind of nice right yeah and she's also in pre-production on a tv series called daughters of darkness and a documentary called project soar so she's got stuff coming out which what is exciting. daughters of darkness so unfortunately i could not figure anything out about it is it a I, remake i don't know if there is a movie a horror movie that was titled that so i'm hoping that's what it is but imdb wouldn't tell me anything and when i searched for her name and that i couldn't find anything gotcha daughters of darkness there it's from 1971 yeah so I wonder if it is a remake. A newlywed couple are passing through a vacation resort. Their paths cross with a mysterious, strikingly beautiful countess and her aide. Ooh. Yeah. I'd well, watch I hope it. it's that. I don't know. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Yeah. So that's what I got for her. Awesome. So I guess at this point, Haley, I'm going to turn it over to you. Let's ruin the shit out of this movie. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much, ladies, for allowing me this gift of telling, uh, well, you've already seen it, but telling Allison about what, maybe not, I would say that my top 10, top 10 horror movies, Pet Oh, Cemetery. wow, this is top 10 for you. This is good to I know. I love it. I lo yeah, I love it. Well, so what we like to do on Ruin is we have Allison watch the trailer for the movie and sort of give us her take on it and also like what perhaps you have remembered from seeing this in the, in Blockbuster as a child or having yes. someone talk about it at school. What are your uh, initial thoughts about Pet Cemetery? I mean, I like this is one of those movies and I'm always glad when we do them on our podcast that like 
have been in like the cultural ether for me and I'm always like I want to know more but I'm never gonna watch it um <laughs> but it comes I mean this like Pet Cemetery is a cultural reference that gets made in other like like people reference it so I'm just like excited to hear about it um trailer I mean standard Stephen King um I'm into just kind of like and I know like loose I think I loosely know a little bit of what happens and like the general plot mm-hmm um, plot being a, a little bit of a tip of the hat because that's a cemetery word. Um, hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I feel like uh, this will be a good one. I definitely remember like hearing about it and seeing the movies at Blockbuster and being like, nope, no thanks. I'm out. I had a cat. I wasn't going to like live through that again. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> good calls. These are good calls. Yes. Um, and that was going to be my next question. I always like to take a baseline scary mm-hmm. of how Allison feels about the subject matter in the film. So I guess my question is, how do you feel about the concept of a pet cemetery? And then, uh, in addition, how do you find the, how scared do you find the concept of resurrection? Mm. Okay, a pet cemetery. I'm just like I'm sure that they're everywhere. Like that, I don't even know. I like people just leave their dead pets. Kind of <laughs> like I don't know. It's not well, too scary. I yeah. don't feel like I've like walked by a graveyard where it's just like doggies. You know. So I mean, I feel. Um, and I guess how would you know unless you went to go check? Like I, yeah, I feel like I've probably reading seen gravestones. Them. Right, which is not really your vibe to begin with. Mm. <laughs> you don't think that I just like chill in cemeteries? You don't even know me. <laughs> Someone was not a teenage goth on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, she was too cool for that. She was a swimmer. Yeah, oh, she time. I was a jock. Um, <laughs> Can't swim in a graveyard. Nope. No. No, you cannot. Well, with the climate crisis, I want one oh, day to be able to. <laughs> right. Jeez. Um, I mean, definitely scary. I don't love resurrection as a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a scary one just because like it's one of those like I know that it can't happen but it's like could it yeah it feels <laughs> a little real even like, though it's it like all, it's like just outside the realm of possibilities so it kind of has mm-hmm. like an extra like ooh, y- yikes yeah and you said you had a cat growing I had up a cat yeah which I don't think I knew if you had pets I'll be honest I think I thought of you as a petless person I know yeah no I had a I had one cat when I was little and it, it just ran away and then another oh big fluffy fancy one that like after a couple years my family was like we don't have time for this that (laughs) makes sense that's how I think of your family having never met your parents that that feels right to me like just being like I think that we're done on cat I think we're uh, just gonna exchange this one and yeah we'll just bring this back and uh get like a nice sofa or something yeah um well I grew up in sort of like a rural area so I feel like um I was constantly surrounded by animals dying just because like it was like farmland you know what i mean so um this watching this movie really i, I had a pet uh rat named popcorn who had a great who had a great yeah it was a white rat i named it popcorn because it was a color of popcorn i'm very bad at pet names like i had nothing to offer <laughs> Wait, my my cat was a white cat and she was named taffy because that was the color of like the saltwater taffy we would get oh the beach. my god oh, we're yeah. the, so the same yeah my cat was orange and i named her rusty so it just as a kid it's like all right sure i guess that's why all pets kind of have the same name it's yeah. like no spot listen i don't know i'm eight but, uh, well, i always remember that she she had a wonderful long life seemed to have a great time and then when she died my parents uh built sort of a funeral pyre in our backyard oh, and they whoa. burned her in a um like because it was the winter so like we couldn't dig so they just burned her in a shoebox. but i remember as a child i felt like that was like a nice thing you know mm-hmm. i didn't yeah. It was almost like a, a, a nice way to send her off Respectful. rather than feeling sad about it. Yeah. Yeah. She got like the full Valhalla treatment. Yeah. I, yeah. So I don't know. There's something about it where I'm like, I, there's something I almost find kind of nice about a pet cemetery. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you know, it's a, it, you, you had this wonderful relationship with this little guy and then now he gets to, you know, he or she gets to rest. 
Unfortunately, that's not the case in this movie. So as we get into it, I'm going to say Allison. (laughs) We always like to have Allison guess the twist. Um, So sort of, do you think there will be a twist in this film? We've done um, some Stephen King. So based on your knowledge of him uh, as a writer, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think like with him, I feel like it's more like uh, bizarre twists unfold throughout narratives. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's not like in modern horror where there's just like, a big reveal, I think, uh, based on like, I mean, again, I'm mostly books, not movies. I guess there's probably, I think like something's going to come back to life that shouldn't or vice versa. Well, so. I think you hit the nail on the head with I that. Really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did my detective work, watch that trailer well, and you, figure you out exactly what happened. The subtle hints in the trailer of this I film. I feel like there's going to be some practical magic references I'm going to want to make throughout this movie because right. I'm pretty sure the same thing happens in that film. So. Oh. oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. If, okay. if something comes back, it'll be different than it was before. So, See, I'm you know. glad you're on the show because that is a sentence that never would have gotten uttered without you. <laughs> uh, practical, practical magic is a little bit of a rom-com with a touch of horror yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's you're true absolutely right yep yep that's <laughs> well, my loophole movie yep <laughs> perfect <laughs> well there's not much rob or com in this movie so let us begin we are about to ruin pet cemetery <clears throat> open on a pet cemetery oh. <laughs> um and this is not a, a, a chipper happy pet cemetery there's like a bird cage hanging which seems like they, no. do they not bury the bird i don't know and you hear children's voices sort of saying goodbye to their pets um and behind the pet cemetery is sort of a, a big fall of dead trees Good. and an ominous path into the woods so you know eventually Perfect. we're gonna head right uh, down that path <laughs> um and we're we see an adorable uh, house in ludlow maine and there's an adorable family moving into it um it's the creed family uh the parents are lewis and rachel their children are eli and gage and they have a cat named winston churchill oh. who's named church and they just moved from Chicago because Lewis took a job as a doctor at the local college. This is, of course, is mistake number one they've made. They have moved to Maine, which we oh, understand from yeah. every Stephen King book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stay away you, from Maine. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've already blown it. And uh, so they move in. Unfortunately, even though this is a gorgeous farmhouse, it is incredibly close to the road. And the road is constantly being barreled down by these huge tanker trucks. Oh, and sure. yeah, so every five <laughs> minutes, just a huge truck just whips through. And I grew up again, like in a rural area. And that's a real thing. Like we constantly, we couldn't ever play near the road. Like my parents were very nervous about it in a way that perhaps Lewis and Rachel in this movie weren't nervous enough about, yeah. but we will, we will get into that. Actually, they, they, they allude to it right up top because they sort of unpacking and their little daughter Ellie's on the tire swing and the tire swing, uh, swing snaps. Her parents rush over while they're helping their daughter, Gage, their son is who's barely two. Like I'm gonna say, he's two at a stretch. Ugh. Wanders into the road. Too <laughs> too young to be in a horror movie. Unfortunately, he's kind of the star of the show. Oh, um, perfect. Yeah. So so he fully wanders, and toddlers cannot move that fast. So he is like he's got some time to cover some distance, and a a truck almost kills him. Luckily, he is scooped up by their neighbor Judd Crandall played by Fred Gwynn, who, of course, played Herman Munster. Mm-hmm. And in the film has an amazing main accent, which I will be attempting to replicate. Yay! Oh, thank God. <laughs> Good. So he, he scoops up uh, Gage right in time and goes, watch out for that road. That's <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, is that Maine? Is that, is that the Providence you're... Uh... 
<laughs> yeah, you know, you know when you sound like you're from Maine that that I just did that perfect accent. <laughs> that sounded um, like a touch like a 1940s Hollywood actress. Like oh, it's, a, it's a little Jimmy Stewart. So I will agree, there is something that's like kind of mid mid Atlantic about it. Um, yeah. But Fred Gwynn is committed to this oh, accent, and him. hats off to him. I love a commitment like that. So they settle in, and that night, um, Lewis goes over to Judd's house, and he's like, wow, there's a lot of trucks on this road, as if, in case you didn't get that this is going to be a problem from them. And Judd's like, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and he tells him, you know, there's a path behind your house, and it goes to the uh, pet cemetery, and it's full of pets that were killed on the road. And I noticed you have a cat. I think you should get your cat neutered so it'll he won't wander as much. You know, so we and Lewis is like, okay, that's something to think about. They're moving in and they have a housekeeper who's helping them. Her name is Missy. Uh she has terrible stomach pains, but she's sort of like, Oh, that's just my lot in life. I, I don't have a husband. I, I'm supposed to suffer. And even though Lewis <laughs> is a doctor and he's like offering to help look, you know, examine her, she's like, No, I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, like, these sort of, like, hardy main, like, people who are, like, not connected to modern reality or medicine. It's like, I'll just suffer. It's fine. (laughs) Um, So the next day, um, their neighbor Judd takes them down the path to the pet cemetery. And Rachel and Ariel, I have a question for you, having seen the film. Why does he do that? I don't know. I mean, I could give you book reasons, but I don't want to be that person. So (laughs) my take is that, like, once you go, you're forever drawn to it. Right. Right. Like, you want to continue to feed it almost. That's my take. But I only got that after watching it the second time because the first time I was like, why is anybody doing this? Why are you going there? Yeah. Essentially, that's – I mean, you pretty much nailed it. So – they're, they go in a little bit deeper about how the Wendigo kind of, once you've done it, it will make you do it again. It'll make mm-hmm. you kind of, it's sort of viral Wendigoing. You will feel compelled, even though you don't want to do it, to show somebody else if you've done it before. Oh, right. Okay. That's well, how so it perpetuates itself. And let's let's introduce the idea of the Wendigo. And right. so the thing about the Wendigo, which is a Native American, you know, uh, sort of a demonic entity, like a, you know, sort of a Sasquatch or, you know, um, a monster sort of in the book and in the screenplay, but essentially a lot of what was in the screenplay was cut out. So Mm -hmm. you only have a couple moments where there's something alluded to, like there's some force or entity in the woods. Um, Basically the idea is like, you know, sort of creates this fear about like death and resurrection. And it sort of sees that there is something that exists in the woods that is permitting the events of the movie to happen. And the people who have lived there are sort of like, that's just how the woods are. Like, we just know this. And to your point, yeah, I think a lot of Stephen King stories, and what's fun about them is sort of like, unfortunately, once you have a piece of information, you can't not tell people. Right. And that is true. Like, if I knew that what this what uh, Judd knows, there's no way I would be telling people and showing people. Like it would eat every day. I'd be like, oh my god! Like I'd have to tell them. So it's like okay, it I is see. his fault that they are then introduced into this concept of what's going to happen. But he's only human, and right. as a human, he he's need already a fucked up. We would have just done it because we can't help ourselves. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so um so uh, Judd introduces them to the pet cemetery, but he's sort of like. Oh, actually, a pet cemetery is like it's a really positive place, and like you get to mourn and you get to uh, the dead speak to us, but like in a in a good way. And uh, this sort of is shocking to the daughter Ellie, who like is like, oh my god, death, because she's you know supposed to be like six or seven, you know, so it's an age appropriate. Like, oh my god, like wait a minute, 
this is a pet cemetery. Church is going to die. Is church going to die? Oh, Why? God. And she has this great line where she's like, let God get his own cat. Don't let him take mine. <laughs> yeah, that, was that would have been me as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's also when we find out in this conversation that Lewis is sort of like trying to give her like, yeah, like a, we don't know what happens after you die, but there's a lot of different ideas about it. And Rachel it cannot talk about death and is really just sort of shuts down. The idea of it is so horrifying to her. She makes Lewis promise uh, Ellie, you know, church is going to be fine. They decide he's going to get um, neutered. So it's like he's going to have surgery. He's going to be fine. Don't tell her about death, essentially. And what we later find out is that Rachel's older sister, Zelda, died of spinal meningitis. And it was a horrible, lingering death that her terrible parents that were going to get into her parents, who are the true villains of this movie. No kidding. Like, they essentially left her to take care of her sister, who was also, like, they say at some point, clinically insane. So she has a lot of trauma. Okay, great. (laughs) <laughs> watching it you're like girl you got to talk to a therapist about this you know well, what I mean I like, like that's so many of these movies too where yes. I'm just like therapy would have like undone the entire concept of this plot because <laughs> right. like this person would have been like able to communicate and like process trauma and not right. yeah. um, bring everybody along for like a deadly ride because of it mm-hmm. yeah the very next day Lewis starts his job at the college which I guess is like a teaching hospital because they have a, f- uh, a teaching college because they have a full hospital and so a, as soon as he gets there, a student is hit by a car. The student's name is Victor Pascal, and he is brought in with a massive head wound. So day one of the job, Lewis essentially has to watch an undergraduate student die. Oh. And he's trying to treat him, but he's, he's dead. And as he dies, Pascal says to him, the soil of a man's heart is stonier, Lewis. And Lewis says, how did you know my name? And the guy dies. <laughs> <laughs> and also, let me tell you, that should have tipped an- him up. That's a bizarre thing for, like, a 20-year-old to say. Yeah. So that very night, Lewis wakes up out of a dead sleep, and Pascal, this student, is standing over him and leads him out to the pet cemetery. And obviously, Lewis is like, this is a dream. This is a dream. I'm just seeing you because I watched you die. You know, like, why is this happening? And Pascal says, no, no, you're really here. I'm trying to help you because you tried to help me. I did die, but you tried to help me in my uh, moments. So um, whatever you do, do not go to the place where the dead walk. The ground beyond the pet cemetery is sour. And then Pascal flies away into the air. (laughs) (laughs) Is it funny when that happens? Because the description is funny. I mean, it's not unfunny. Uh, A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Much like a lot of Stephen King, like it's a little funny and also a little bit like, oh shit, that's not good. (laughs) Right. Fly. A lethal combination. (laughs) So the next morning, Lewis wakes up and he's like, oh, it was just a dream. And he goes to get out of bed and his feet are covered in mud. Mm. You know. So it's and like let, he did go. Yes. And so this is something for us. He, We already know. It's, our, it's We're midway through the first act. If a zombie ghost boy tells you not to go past the pet cemetery, you don't go past the pet cemetery. <laughs> yes. Mm-mm-mm. Listen to zombie ghost boys. Yeah. <laughs> so then it's a couple months later. We see it's Thanksgiving time. And Rachel is taking the kids to Chicago to see her parents. And apparently Lewis is not going because her parents hate Lewis. We don't find out why. And also, like, Lewis is like a great father a wonderful husband has a good job not for nothing is a babe like we don't know why they hate him but i guess we're just supposed to think like her parents are just awful people because of how we found out find out like they essentially left her terminally ill older sister in her care as an eight-year-old yeah oh 
and uh, some other stuff that happens later on so he's gonna stay at the house and he's like don't worry i'll watch after church so they leave immediately he gets a call from judd judd's like your cat 100 percent just got hit by a truck like we talked about (laughs) (laughs) so he goes out he's like oh god okay well i guess i'll leave i'll I'll bury him like tomorrow whatever and judd goes well Maybe there's a better way. (laughs) And he picks up a shovel and he leads Lewis off into the woods past the pet cemetery. Now, Allison, I'm going to ask you at this point, like I ask in every Ruined episode, Allison, what would you do if you were in the film at this point? I would not go with him. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not something I I wouldn't bring my dead cat, like, on a nature walk, like, into... (laughs) past where it belongs like just leave it in the cemetery leave it on the side of the street i mean just don't go with that like don't go back out to where like you've seen the ghost of someone you watched die in front of you 24 hours earlier like it just yeah don't never never follow a monster yeah that's a great a great piece of advice (laughs) (laughs) and there is something where basically like I, i think it's like ellie will be so upset and as a result he has to do anything to keep his daughter from being upset which is also tied into rachel's like trauma about death I feel but like we don't my... know like why he's leading him this way. No, no. not yet. Okay. Um, but I will say like, yeah, if he had I been, guess, but you know, if his, if their family was more able to deal with death, like my parents would have been like, yeah, just throw it in the garage. We'll deal with it later. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a normal <laughs> yeah. person would be like, yes, I will go on some sort of mysterious journey into the woods with my dead cat in a bag. No, absolutely no. not. No. Yeah. So they take a mysterious trip into the forest with a cat in a bag and we sort of hear like a scream and like a rumble as they're walking through. Um, and that's sort of in the original screenplay was the Wendigo. And uh, Judd says, oh, it's only just a loon. But we sort of know <laughs> it's not. It's something else, you know. So they finally get to the top of this mountain and there's sort of like a circular burial ground and like uh, of stones. And, and Judd explains that it was a burial ground made by the Micmac Indians. So it's literally sacred Indian burial ground. Mm, great. And they're going to bury the cat in it. And Lewis says, why are we doing this? And Judd says, I have my reasons. And then they just now, go ahead with it. <laughs> and he says, No more now, questions. You, yeah, he's like, you have to bury her. Each buries his own. And so he does it. <laughs> it's like, don't follow the direction. Like, I personally wouldn't be following the directions of people who, like, speak in weird, like, vaguely poetic yes. language. Where it's like, each buries his own. Like, people don't talk like that, even in the 80s. Like, there's no reason to do right. what that person says they're not fully with it yeah and if they were like if lewis was asking like so what are we literally talking about like so i'm gonna bury right. this cat and it takes hours because the stone is really the soil is really stony and he's digging and digging so at some point you'd think hey i'm sorry i, I keep meaning to ask what are we doing why are we doing this <laughs> he doesn't so he buries a uh, church and they head back to the house and of course rachel's been calling him you know to be like hey it's thanksgiving talk to your children you know <laughs> And uh, so he goes to pick up the, the phone and Judd tells him, you know, don't don't tell your wife what we did. Don't tell the kids. It's our secret thing. And he oh, says, great. women are supposed to be good at keeping secrets. But any woman will tell you that a man's heart is Estonia. <laughs> so he has oh, just God. said to <laughs> Lewis, he's just said to Lewis the exact thing that Pascal, the student, said right before he died. A bad sign. Yeah. I don't need dead people and alive people telling me the same things. Like, that's not. Yeah. I don't trust either of those. <laughs> So the next day, Lewis is raking or whatever, and Church shows back up. 
and boy is he pissed <laughs> he's alive the cat is alive but he's so angry and aggressive and he claws lewis's face is it all and Lewis up? Is like, like is it like is it like it's filthy yeah. okay it's filthy it's dirty and covered in like blood yeah like because the guy hit by it's the, just so like it it's been bad. reanimated exactly as it was yes. when he bar- okay got it and um and so he goes of joe's to uh, judd's place and he's like so i guess the cat was alive when i buried it judd's like haha sit down it was the it was the rag man who told me about the place so he tells him this insane story and we're basically uh judd said you know when he was ellie's age he had a dog named spot and a the rag man who was uh part micmac indian showed him the burial ground uh judd buried the dog and the dog came back and the dog was, like Church's, incredibly aggressive and was not the same and eventually died of, like, ostensibly other natural causes. And when the dog died again that second time, they just buried it in the pet cemetery and it was fine. Okay. And uh, and he, and he Judd has my favorite line of the movie where basically Lewis is like, so, like, why did you show me the burial ground? Judd says... A man doesn't always know why he does things, Lewis. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, sure. Enough. You got the me there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm from the east or west coast, so I don't know. Is that how things go down on the other coast? Am I just no. like out of touch? <laughs> is everyone like a, a poetic salt of the earth, salty seaman over there? <laughs> I wish <laughs> only. Right. I do feel like. I do feel like if anything, like, yeah, like, modern history does tell us a man doesn't know why why he does things. That feels yeah. right. Like, he yeah, is yeah. right. Pretty but it's accurate. also like, well, so you're giving me no information about <laughs> this whatsoever? <laughs> Which also means that you as an um, audience have no information. Yes. Exactly. And so Lewis asked the question everyone would ask, which is, have they ever buried a person up there? And Judge is like a spit take. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> Well, whoever would, Jesus Christ says throw no, and whoever would. <laughs> also, that's like such a fair question because that's like, of course, where every human being's mind would yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. Like, a hundred percent. So Lewis, the next day, uh, goes to pick up his family at the airport. He could go onto the tarmac, which you know it's pre nine eleven. So he's literally <laughs> like, he basically is directing the plane in, you know. <laughs> and um, Ellie, his daughter, because like, oh, you know, is Church alive? Because I had a dream. Again, she's six. I had a dream. He got hit by a car, and then you and Mr. Crandall next door buried him in the pet cemetery. And oh. Lewis is like. Oh, no, that's just crazy. I didn't do that. No. Does it not strike you odd, Lewis, that your daughter had a prescient dream about the thing you literally did? He's no. not responding He's not correctly to any of these things. Yeah. So as if that's not disturbing enough, we cut to Missy, their housekeeper, writing a suicide note and going into her basement and hanging herself. Oh. And her suicide note says, I'm sure I have cancer. I cannot face the pain. Sorry. So, which, and we had seen her sort of decline Lewis's offer at an examination. And it's like, Missy, girl, at least like, checked out. yeah, do yourself a solid, go to the doctor. Yeah, um, I don't know. I I never read the book, but I, the first time I saw it and the second time I saw it too, I did not understand why this part was even in the movie. Like, what relevance does it have to the plot? Well, they had to figure out some way to get Stephen King and his righteous mullet into this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he plays the minister at the funeral. Which is in the trailer. When you see the minister, yes. that is Stephen yes. King. Allison. Yes, I knew. I you don't know what he looks him. like, obviously. <laughs> so, you know, and obviously this funeral inspires uh, Ellie to ask more questions about death. And, and this is where we sort of find out Rachel is, like, so distressed about talking about death. And 
so her daughter, her sister Zelda was like died. It was horrible. And, it, and they sort of kept her she, as their quote, dirty secret in the back bedroom at her parents' house. And it seems like her parents just sort of left her to fend for herself and take care of her terminally ill sister. And, you know, her sister is like skeletal and coughing up this soup that Rachel's feeding her. And Rachel said, what's, what's hard about this is like, I wanted her to die and it wasn't necessarily just because I needed, I wanted her to not feel pain. It's that I was so terrified of her. And that's the guilt. I always feel is like, I wanted her to die. And I still wake up sometimes thinking is Zelda dead yet. And, and Lewis says, (laughs) which is the correct response is as if I needed one more reason to hate your parents. (laughs) I have one now. And it's like, okay, at least Lewis is like, well, that's fucked up. Like that's insane that you had to deal with this and your parents who are good, awful people didn't give you any support or whatever so unfortunately we've arrived at well it's we're, we're sort of things are coming to a head with regards to are we going to have to take pick take another trip past the pet cemetery yeah. and uh, of course they're having like a beautiful picnic and judd's over there and they're they're flying a kite oh wait and they give question. gauge oh so yeah is the cat me. just kind of like around Yes, it's very mean, but it sort of just, like, stalks around the property. Okay. Like, it's not, like, falling apart. It's not, like, a zombie okay. in that way. It's just way. like, oh, the cat's here. It's a little different, but it's... Yeah, it's, it's just, like, a, a little bit to, feral. It likes to deposit dead things into bathtubs that people are in. It, oh. It's yeah, a little bit a, of a menace. It's yeah, upsetting, like but also... Thing. Yeah, cats do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like I've had cats that kind of just were what church is yes. now. Yeah. So, I'm like, it's kind of mean and, like... Yeah, it's just like it drops a dead rat into Lewis's delicious-looking bathtub, like a hot bath, oh, just love a hot bath. A, a, um, but but and also it smells bad. But to me, I, I grew up like again, like on a farm, so I feel like we had cats. But like that was just what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> so they're having this gorgeous picnic, and they give Gage like the end of a kite, and Gage, who again is two years old, and my uh, boyfriend Dave Schilling, boyfriend of the pod. He has a toddler son. So there are certain moments in this movie where I'm like, I just don't think that they would let a toddler get that close to the road. You know what I mean? Like, I just, he's covering a lot of ground in a way that a toddler just can't do. Um, Unfortunately, they sort of get distracted and Gage has the kite string and he drops it. He sort of follows it into the road. Meanwhile, you see a trucker listening to the remotes, having a great day, driving his oil tanker, (laughs) zooming towards the house. You see him, like, start his day 12 hours earlier. I think he's like, great, I'm going to have a great day as a trucker. Unfortunately, uh, they notice right in time, Lewis tries to rescue him, but it's too late. Uh, The truck just absolutely slams into Gage. And actually, the truck has a pretty far distance, and I guess he put on the the brakes, but not in time. So Gage has died. Okay. Um, which you kind of uh, not that you knew was going to happen, but you knew yeah. somebody was going to have to die. And, and that night, Lewis, who is wearing the same shirt he was wearing during the day, which is covered in blood, uh, I think you would probably change at a certain point. Yeah, he's sort of looking at um, Gage's uh, baby photos. Rachel's had to be sedated, so she's up upstairs. And uh, Judd comes over and says, "Hey, I know you're probably thinking about things, but..." Don't think about that thing you're thinking about. We already know what he's thinking. Of course. It's like, again, first thought. It's like, you told me about this. But before that, we have to go to the see the funeral where Rachel's father, the worst person in the world, comes up and it was like, this is your fault this happened. I hope you rot in hell. Where were you? 
and he punches Lewis, what? and Lewis starts punching him back, and he knocks Rachel's dad into his son's coffin, which falls over. Oh. It's awful. That's upsetting. That's yeah. more upsetting than I think anything else that could happen. In yeah, it's you see his scene. little tiny arm in the casket, and yeah. what oh, I, I, a little baby Haley has casket. not mentioned is that he is like ovary exploding cute. Oh my god, he's so cute. The cutest yes. child on the planet. You're like, shit, I don't even like kids and I want to throw myself in front of that truck and save him. <laughs> I know. Aww. Yeah, he's a little blonde moppet oh, and yeah. he, he like he knows he can't and he speaks he speaks a lot more later in the film, but like, you know, he like knows church's names. He's just the sweetest little guy and unfortunately um has died. And at a certain point, uh one of Lewis's friends pulls Lewis out and he's like, What are you doing? It's your son's funeral. And I was like, if somebody punches me accosts me and punches me at my son's funeral i hope you enjoyed having teeth <laughs> I, would, if I, was saying, I would beat the hell out of rachel's dad you. yeah that's the correct you're, going, you're leaving this church in a stretcher like i'm sorry i'd be like i will fight everyone here <laughs> like, at that like absolutely not so of course now they're back home and it's like you already know like lewis is like okay i'm not gonna not do that thing you know what i mean right and uh, Judd comes over. He's like, don't do it. I know that, you know, I know that I told you about it. And also, I did lie to you when you asked me if anyone had been put in the burial grounds. And you're like, of, of course, course you right. lied, you yeah. liar. That guy's like not the most trustworthy person that I've come <laughs> across. And so he then tells a story. Uh, that was right after World War II. The, a local boy, Timmy Baderman, was killed on his way home from the war. And so his father, Bill, put him in the burial ground. And he came back. And he's a goddamn zombie. Mm. He's ruined it. He's going, he's attacking people. He's going nuts. And so essentially all of the men folk had to get together and corral him into a house and set the house on fire to kill him. Oh. So he was a zombie, like a, a homicidal, like ripping people apart, like going nuts zombie. And, uh, you know, and so, and Judd said, well, you know, he did that. His father did that because he didn't know the truth. And Lewis said, well, what was the truth? And he says the best line. Of, again, this I, is the best This line. is the, really the, the best line. He says, well, sometimes dead is better. <laughs> oh, wow. Never I want a full script reading. I, I just need it from top. Let me start Thank over. <laughs> Read all the lines. Sometimes dead is better. The person you put up there, they don't come back the same person. Okay, this, is, so, this is exactly the advice that Stockard Channing and Diane Viest give Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock in Practical Magic. Mm, so I understand and, where and this is going. Right. <laughs> Yes, and in Practical Magic, what did they do, Allison? They still tried to bring him back. Of course. They, they were did. trying to yeah, avoid absolutely. a murder charge. So <laughs> right, it's a right. whole different kind of story. But yes, okay. So like obviously he's gonna Yeah. Do this. And so why Judd does it just like to me, I'd be like, I'm just gonna like wait on my porch and like watch when you eventually leave to go right. dig up your son, you know? But in it, he's got other stuff going on. So you know, so Lewis has to go to the um, cemetery. And in the meantime, Rachel uh, is taking Ellie to Chicago to stay at her parents' house. Why you would spend any time with those people, I don't know. They're awful. Um, but I will say Rachel's dad does apologize for uh, assaulting Lewis during his son's funeral. So I guess yeah. that's good. So he's a real classic. Fucking asshole. Nice and even. <laughs> Yeah, so, so but Rachel, I mean, clearly it's like Rachel has some sort of, like, codependent relationship with these parents because of, like, the trauma around her sister's death and her being the only surviving child. The whole thing, you're like, it, this whole family should be in therapy. But she takes Ellie out of town with her, and so Lewis is using this opportunity to, of course, go to the cemetery and dig up his son's body. And um, and Lewis tells, you know, uh, while this starts happening, the uh, Pascal, the student, comes back and sort of, like, 
he's like the omen of like, don't do this. And he's trying to tell Lewis, don't do this. Lewis says, well, if he comes back wrong, I'll just put him back to sleep. And Rachel Nelly will never have to know. It's like, so your plan is, if your son comes back a zombie, you're going to kill him? Like, that's not, why would you do this to yourself? you'll never say anything about it. Right. (laughs) The rest of your life, you're never going to turn to your wife and be like, hey, here's something crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the other night when I said I was going out in the garage, here's what really happened. Like, it's just, (laughs) yeah. So that night, um, you know, Ellie and Rachel are in Chicago and Ellie keeps having dreams like Pascal is visiting Ellie in her dreams to have to try to warn her this is happening. And finally, Pascal is able to get into Rachel's subconscious because Ellie tells her I had this dream, this person named Pascal. And Ellie's like, Pascal, wasn't that Lewis's student? And she doesn't exactly know what it is, but she's like, I have to go home. Something is wrong in a very Stephen King way where it's like she's just picking up whether it's a ghost or, or what's going on. So she's now going to fly back to stop stop this from happening but unfortunately lewis has a head start but that means he has to dig up his son's body from the regular human cemetery so i'm gonna stop and say okay at this point in the in the every ruin episode i asked allison who do you think is going to survive this film mm. oh i'm man. curious I about this i my yeah. prediction being the one who has not seen this is that uh, the son will come back and then lewis will have to kill him uh-huh. mm-hmm. okay, so i think L- the son will die gage will die I think Rachel and the other daughter will be fine. I think Judd. No. I think Lewis dies and Judd survives. Okay. Okay. All right. Great. Oh, and before. Okay. So before Rachel leaves her parents' house, she sort of has a vision of her her sister Zelda. And she's like, I'm coming for you, Rachel. And this time I'm going to get you. Gage and I will get you for letting us die. And you see all of these like sort of Victorian creepy oh. portraits of children oh. in her parents' house, which is like a whole yeah, other thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is your house. <laughs> yeah. Like that alone is the therapy that you would need. Like you Yeah. Need and then she wakes that. up. Yeah, and Rachel wakes up at the start and you realize that she's already on the plane. So she was having this terrible dream. And we see Pasco sitting like in the row behind her, like sort of like watching her and helping her along her way. Oh, cool. Um, which is very nice of him not really being involved with this in any way. But um, so we see we're cutting back and forth between her racing home and Lewis digging up Gage's body. Um, And eventually uh, he digs him up and it's already nighttime. and He's carrying Gage's and you have to see his little sad body, which that part was terrible. I don't like that. It's not great. Yeah, (laughs) it's sad. Yeah. I mean, it's it's artfully done in terms of like what it looks like. But like, again, like as older I get, I'm like, I don't want to see his little dead body. (laughs) But he, you know, he's taking her, he's taking Gage up to the burial ground and he finally gets there. And meanwhile, like Pascal's helping Rachel, like he literally holds the door to the gateway of her connecting flight so she could get in. And then she gets to like the car rental place, like in uh, Bangor or wherever she's driving from. And he has to like suggest to the uh, budget rental clerk, like, actually, you just got a car in. Like he's doing his best, like (laughs) considering he's a ghost, you know, to try to get her there in time. Unfortunately, Lewis goes ahead and buries his buries Lewis in the burial ground and is like, please come back to us. And he comes home and you do you do the thing whenever you bury your child in a burial ground and you know he's gonna come back, you conk out for eight hours of sleep. Oh yeah. He is out like a light. Yeah. <laughs> finally relax. Exactly. There's nothing more relaxing than that moment <laughs> when you finally realize your kid's gonna come back as a well done. What, what's his plan for when he does come back? Like, is he just gonna like um, bring him back to yeah. the house and be like, "You won't believe it. 
um, our kid is back? That's a great question. I think we're supposed to think, and this is sort of like, especially by the end of it, like he's so delirious with grief. Like he yeah, doesn't yeah, have yeah, a yeah. plan. There's no plan. And he, he knows that his son is going to come back as not himself as we've established, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, like he just he's just so, son, yeah. yes, he so desperately wants him back that he's willing to take that. So meanwhile, Judd, uh, everyone's very sleepy in town, I guess, because Judd was waiting on the porch and then Judd wakes up. And it's like, you were napping with knowing that he was going to go do this. But he wakes up uh, in time to see little muddy toddler footprints no. leading into his yeah. house. And we hear Gage. He's much more. He's gained a lot of words in the afterlife. I get he's much more verbal. Oh, and we hear him giggling and running around. And because he's literally a toddler, they have to do a lot of like uh, disembodied voices and like the sounds of scampering. Like you can't see the toddler for too long because he can't do that. Yeah, much, he's not you know? like a act like a real actor. It's like yeah. having oh, a dog or saw... a cat. <laughs> exactly yeah like if this you can't yeah, give it directly like do you understand like we're making right, a movie exactly. do you know what movies are um right do you know what what's happening right, right now like no of course not um oh we also see that gage has uh gotten a scalpel out of um his father's medicine Excellent. bag so he does have a scalpel he has a weapon and just kind of looking around he realizes what's happening so he's like gage gage are you in here gage <laughs> And um, Gage takes the scalpel and he slits uh, Judd's Achilles tendon and then slits his mouth and then latches onto his neck like a vampire. And I actually thought it was kind of cute because he's such a cute little bug. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're trying to, he's like snarling, like clearly like his mom's off camera, like, okay, make a new face. You know, like he's snarling, but he's very yes. cute. Um, anywho, but he dispatches Judd, like Judd's full on Wow, dead. I figured that Judd would have had to survive because he would have to like continue the... No, that baby right. just the rips his throat out. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, wow. yeah, I guess we're think because it's Stephen King, it's like he, he made the mistake or like he made the moral failure of like passing on the story. Mm-hmm. So he has to be punished, mm-hmm. I guess, in the, in the idea, in the narrative is that he ca- kind of caused this, which he even says is like, it's my fault. It's like, yeah, bitch, of course it's your <laughs> fault. But now you sort of. So meanwhile, again, uh, Lewis is, he's in dreamland. He is like blissfully asleep for all of this. Rachel gets home. She ends up having to get a hit. She has a car crash. She has to hitchhike with a trucker and he drops her off. And of course she gets out and she hears Gage and Zelda calling her from Judd's house. Again, why you don't say, well, that seems odd that my dead son and dead sister are calling me, but she goes over there (laughs) and she is eventually confronted with her sister you know, and she's like, I'm going to twist your back like mine so you never get out of bed again, like screaming at her. And then Zelda turns into Gage. Great. And he is wearing a fabulous little Victorian <laughs> I love this outfit. so much. <laughs> and obviously he's supposed to be dressed like one of the portraits in her parents' house, but that is not something that I ever paid attention to. So I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is this yeah. kid wearing? It's like a little blue velvet suit, a top hat, and a cane. That's what <laughs> right. Is he Mr. Peanut? Like, <laughs> yes. He, he yes. is... He is such a little peanut, so that makes sense. But I remember watching it for the first time and being like, is that what they buried it in? Like, what the <laughs> like they gave him a top hat, but like how would you even fit that in a coffin? <laughs> but so he says, I brought you something, mommy. And it's it's done tastefully off screen, but you do know that he murders her. And in the morning, so hours later, Lewis wakes up and he's like, oh, right, my zombie's <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> And and he runs through the house looking for Gage, and it's uh, the phone rings. He picks it up. It's Rachel's dad. He's like, "Hey, I just want to make sure that Rachel got back because she was uh, flying back right now." And Lou says, "Yes, she's fine," <laughs> knowing, of course, she ain't fine. Yeah. Not fine. And then he gets a second phone call, and it's from Gage. 
And Gage says, last night I played with Judd and Mommy. Now will you come play with me? And so Judd's like, oh, uh, Lewis is like, okay, great. So I am going to have to put my son down because now he's killing people. Right. So he goes the over there I with- know, actually. <laughs> yeah. The two other people I know are, are, are being attacked. So I guess he just has in his house, like I assume every college doctor has, is some sort of like- um, euthanizing right. liquid yeah. like he just yeah. has it in his bag where it's like oh yeah so he just fills a syringe and he puts down church and the cat and then he goes in with a second syringe i'm like boy it seems like so like you would not have that in a house with children like just and, a liquid that kills people instantly you and know like what I mean? not more than one dose <laughs> yeah. no absolutely yeah like why would you have it in what i guess you don't have to put it in the fridge so anywho, he goes over there and he's searching through Judd's house and we hear Gage like yelling like, play with me, you know, like running around. <laughs> and we, he looks up and he sees the attic um, ladder has snapped and he looks up just in time to see Rachel's body s- fall through this, the attic, uh, the hole, the attic door, I guess drop out of the attic and she is be- dead hanging from a noose which then begs a lot of questions like how did gage do yeah, that did he becomes super yeah. strong when he came back to windigo life? powers yeah <laughs> yeah so he has windigo powers and then he leaps down out of the attic and just starts stabbing his dad with a scalpel which again they have to shoot i think it's tastefully not tastefully but like artfully done because like if you were just to show it in a wide it's just a baby stabbing <laughs> someone like you'd be, able to, like, yeah. you'd be able to like throw him across the room if you we're had getting to. into like evil not evil dead uh, dead alive territory here right yeah. yeah um which is we talked about on the podcast like anytime like the villain is a child it's like okay but realistically like you could just kick it yeah. ass. like if you had yeah and he take does a child yeah and he does toss the kid across the hallway too yes eventually he does after injecting him with he does inject him with the again instant euthanasia <laughs> liquid he had in his bag how did i, I never notice how weird there. that was <laughs> it's i'm just like oh that seems suspiciously handy but maybe he got it from again he stole it from his job i guess he's not planning to go back for that job which is good and so finally (laughs) like his so his son dies we see him like collapse he's a great little uh, baby actor he collapses and then lewis uh douses the house in gasoline and sets it alight and you see gage's corpse catch on fire which i did not need to see i thought that was you can just trust that we'll assume that that's what happened like yeah yeah it is sad because especially after he injects him with that gage kind of turns back into regular gage and not zombie gage and yeah dad and touching his cheek and he's just so cute yeah, he's a cute little guy, and you're like, okay. So, but then you're like, oh, he set the house on fire. Judd and Rachel are already dead, and now Gage is uh, uh, actually dead. Okay. Yeah, and so it's it's in a, a fire. So you think, okay, well, if nothing else, at least Lewis did the right thing, and now he has to accept these deaths. Well, you'd be wrong, Allison, because you see him carrying Rachel's body out of the house, and Pascal, the ghost, says to him, "Do not do oh, it, dude. No. Don't do it." And Lewis, who I think we're supposed to think has gone totally mad yeah. at this point, is like. No, it's because Gage, I waited too long. He was dead too long. But Rachel, she just died. I'll put her in and then she'll be fine. Obviously not. And then that night, it ends with, um, you know, Lewis is playing solitaire in the kitchen. And we <laughs> see Rachel's disgusting, <laughs> filthy corpse stagger in. Oh, no. And you hear, uh, you hear Judd say some more fun stuff in voiceover like, because what you buy is what you own, and what you own always comes home to you. <laughs> All right, I, I guess, <laughs> sure. I, like, I don't know if that's, like, what does that mean? Anywho, so she staggers in. She has a huge, like, wound. Her eye is seeping liquid, 
and they share a pas- passionate yeah, kiss. Yeah, they're really good. Oh, I was like, why do it all over? <laughs> and as they kiss, you see Rachel, of course, pick up a knife off of the table, and they cut to black, and you hear Lewis screams. Obviously, she killed him. I mean, yes. And that is the end of Pet Cemetery. Wow. So I'd like to get into, Allison, what are some fatal mistakes that you think, one or two, if they come to mind, what possibly could have been a fatal mistake um, one of our characters made? I mean, I would definitely, we'll start with Maine. Don't move to Maine. Um, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a great point that you brought up. But I I think even just like finding out that that was there, like following, um, Mm -hmm. wait, who did he follow first? Judd. Judd. Like, following him back there without asking any questions as to why they were walking back there. And then also, like, yeah. listening to him. It's just, like, you don't need that. Like, we, that friendship shouldn't exist. Um, without that, yeah. you would just le- peacefully be living in Maine. Um, and then, of course, I think starting with the cat. Like, putting the yeah. burying the Huge cat. Huge mistake. And then burying I the I guess son. mine is. And then the wife. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Oh, just a series of mistakes. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah. nonstop. It's if it weren't scary, it would be hijinks. Yeah. Also, if they had just um, built a fence, yeah. it, it probably would have solved a lot exactly. of the problems. Just yeah. build a damn baby leashes. Yeah. Baby yes. leash. Yes, <laughs> that is the fatal right. mistake. Yeah, indoor <laughs> cat Absolutely. and a baby leash. No problems. Yes. Yeah. Even like a dip. Right. Yeah. Oh, like any, anything. Can we get Slow it down? Yeah. Slow down. <laughs> Engage with um, your city council and try and get that street to be, you know, as a lower speed limit and more stoplights. Absolutely. That would have been a huge step forward. And I also, my thing was, uh, I think going to therapy with your yes. wife to deal with the, your trauma. Definitely. Because I, I think if, if, if any of them had been willing to accept death, this, perhaps this series of events would not have begun. Yes. I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. The therapy is always the answer. And I think we've come back to that before. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I just wanted to do one little segment yes. and I wanted to do, um, I call it celebrity pet cemetery. Ooh. So I was saying, which, uh, dead celebrity would you put in the, into the burial ground to come back knowing that they would come back as a homicidal zombie? Oh, oh. At first, I thought you were going to ask what celebrity pet. I want. <laughs> I was like, oh, if you have a celebrity pet I was in like, mind, Tinkerbell, that's perfect. Paris Hilton's dog. Oh my god! Oh, oh, that, that, yeah, that like definitely died many times between, before we like saw like she. Right. There, she I think she was just replacing that dog, or she was oh, no, cemeterying that dog. We don't know. <laughs> My celebrities are either going to be Paul Lind or Don Knotts, Ooh, like someone who's sort of like choices. it's against type. Or and I know she's not she's not dead, but if when eventually she is dead, I would put Jane Lynch. Oh in yeah, I think she'd be a very funny, fun zombie. Oh yeah, I like that. I think like Prince could make. Oh some my gosh, great that's music. funny. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Great minds. Um. Yeah. I think like bring Prince and David Bowie from that. Remember when we thought that was our, the worst year of our lives? Oh um, my god. <laughs> yeah. Twenty six. Twenty fifteen. If only we could go back. Um, <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I think like I think like let's get some some musical greats back because maybe it's like mm-hmm. an edgier sound. Uh, while they're like murdering, turn of rock. <laughs> yeah, right. I would bring back a um, grumpy cat. I feel Aww. like because uh, I mean you wouldn't Made tell the it, difference, yeah. and we can start marketing that. <laughs> like the return of grumpy cat. That's poor grumpy cat. Cash money. Um, <laughs> she seemed so gentle. She did. She did. So I would say yeah, grumpy cat celebrity. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I got would one. Say, I would say maybe Vincent Price. I love that oh, man. And he's nice. so over the top. Absolutely. I would love to see what he would do dead. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Very fun. I would love to see what he would do dead. 
Yeah, well, and then I we always have a spooky scale. Oh, yeah. So, uh, ladies, I'd like to have all of you weigh right. in. This, of course, the spooky scale is how spooky you personally found it. Not was it a great film? I love this film. Um, or you know, sort of, it's, it's not weighing in on the film itself. It's more actually watching it. How scared mm, were you? Okay. And I weigh in, and having obviously a... never seen it. So. Okay. <laughs> yes, and this is on a scale of one to ten screams. Yes, it's extremely scientific. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will give this a six. I think like of like of other movies we've talked about this definitely like this is a trope that I've seen in non-horror um like -hmm. resurrection and like it's different when it's like that stuff is like kind of like oh that's familiar I don't love like the kids stuff um but Mm -hmm. but it's not a I don't think it's as I think there's a lot of like plottiness to it and a little less of the like intense horror Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna say a six yeah um, I'm going to say a four. Um, I really love this movie, but I do not find it scary as such. Um, there's, I mean, I think it's well done. I do think the idea of resurrection is scary. But you're right. It is such a familiar idea uh, that, yeah, it's not necessarily, it's more of a morality tale mm. of like, well, if you can't accept death, this is going right. to be the result. Um and, but in a way that I love, like, I love that Stephen King's like, here's a moral that you goofed up. This is on mm-hmm. you, you know? So yeah, I'm going to give it a four. Yeah. I'm with you. I think probably a four for me because I don't like pet death even more mm-hmm. than baby death, which tells you a little bit about me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also the HL will never not be a little bit scary to me because again, childhood triggers. Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. That's understandable. I might go even a little bit lower and say a three. I think there's Here enough kind of 80s cheese to it <laughs> and familiar sure. ideas. And the things that I didn't like about it were more just like upsetting and weird yes. than scary. So, yeah, yeah, that's where I would go. Absolutely. <laughs> Ladies, I can thank hear you so it much in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I do agree. Like, I love it. But there is something when you cut to a toddler in like a Victorian outfit, right. where you're like, well, I'm not scared of that. <laughs> like, I think that's an interesting choice. But Yeah. I mean, um, my second watch, having my expectations tempered, I do really enjoy the last like 25 minutes of this movie. They, yeah. It is really fun. I'll yeah. give it that. That tendon slash yeah. is that's like, pretty good. that goes Oof. in the, the mental Oof. slideshow. So we have this concept of the mental slideshow, which are the things that you see that upset you in horror movies that even if the movies don't scare you will come to you unbidden later yes oh, yeah, and the, yeah that's the that one is definitely because it's just right through that thing mm. <sighs> yeah absolutely well the, ladies thank you so much for for letting me spoil this for everybody yes. it, was, it was so such a pleasure. fun it was yeah, really it was great you have a real knack you. for <laughs> spoiling movies <laughs> yes, i know she's so good at you it. really thank are you so i enjoy i i love it more than it I, I, I love seeing the movie through your eyes <laughs> yeah and that Truly. accent yeah perfect <laughs> the reenactments great accent work today <laughs> thank you i i feel like it was going a little bit adam Sandler when he's like conditional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, a little, a little <laughs> opera boy, <laughs> opera man. <laughs> I cannot wait till you get to Dolores Claiborne because I want to hear you doing all of the Ooh. Kathy Bates. Oh, that would be amazing. Pull me, yes. Grand, oh, pull up, grand, I'm a crack of my ass. Like that is all the oh, boy. all yeah, the we really great that. main things in it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been so fun having you and getting to know you and laugh with you. Before you go, though, I would love to give you a chance to plug the show one last time. Anything else you guys have going on? Because you also, I know, have other things that you do besides Ruined. If you want to talk about any of that, I would love for our listeners to hear all about it. Oh, great. Yeah. So uh, what we'd like to obviously plug Ruined. And any listener, please uh, get in touch. You can email us at ruined at the radio point. And you can also uh, follow either of us on Instagram. I'm Hallie Kiefer on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Allison Leiby on Twitter and Instagram. And we're both, you know, please. we're comedy writers. We're yeah. fun follows. <laughs> please follow. Please send us your suggestions of films yes. you'd like to hear us do. Suggestions for the pod in general, like any themes, things that you'd like us to talk yeah. about. Um, we would love to hear yeah. it. Um, updates, on, you know, like there's like movies we've done that have like news updates and like crazy real life stuff. Like we're trying to, you know, the whole genre is our oyster. So any thoughts, we are more than excited to hear them. Yeah. And honestly, in terms of other stuff, I don't have anything else going on. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just that's, like it's pretty much just the pod. Day yeah. getting through. That's yeah. it. Not much exactly. else. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this was, like I said, a ton of fun. You guys are great. Anytime you want to come back, the door is wide open. We would love to have Aww, you come yeah, back. Absolutely. So much. So Especially nice. if you guys cover You're the so Langoliers, sweet. because I need to hear that through your yes! perspective. Yes. <laughs> Wait um, till you get to the like, yeah, next time. that one, Alice. <laughs> oh, um, literally, whenever that was like a staple mini series, like the VHSs in my in my parents' oh, home. Wow. I've seen the Langoliers so you many times. You have not times. lived till you've seen Cousin Belky just tearing paper, just oh, tearing God, yeah. paper. That sounds so scary. <laughs> yeah awesome okay for those of you at home plans for next week we are going to be back to talking about the craft legacy so definitely check that out between now and then because we are also going to spoil that for you yes we are awesome <laughs> and if you're enjoying the show leave us a review on itunes and feel free to drop us a line at rachel at zombiegirls.com and if you're looking for something to watch tonight because let's face it there's never enough of or watching check out our website for our calendar of all the upcoming VOD and streaming picks in the horror and horror adjacent genres all right ariel take us out all right this has been another episode of the more deadly podcast thanks for listening to this great crossover episode with ruin make sure you check them out and we'll be back next time with the craft legacy bye everybody bye